Um, if you've got your Bibles, um, go to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. We're going to continue our study in James. We're, we're getting close to being finished, but we're going to continue there in James chapter 4. We've been there for a couple weeks, but we're going to continue in the text in James chapter 4. Let's, uh, let's begin with prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in this place and to worship you this morning and to be ever present with you. Father, I pray that this morning that as the text is preached, Father, I pray that you would be glorified, you'd be magnified, and as a result of that, lives would be changed and transformed for your glory and your glory alone. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, in context of, of, the, of this chapter, chapter 4, um, what, what, what we're talking about, what we're looking at, the idea is this. What happens when the gospel invades spaces where quarreling and fighting among people happen? So, the idea of when the gospel penetrates these, these avenues, this is what it looks like. And, and, and you see, God has a holy spiritual rhythm or theme throughout the text that he designed for people. He designed things. This is how it's designed for you and I to work and to walk with one another. The idea to love and walk with Jesus rather than the world is what we see in the text. And what we see in the text, um, this will happen but this is what happens when you see the first part of chapter 4. This is what happens when we rely on or pursue our worldly passions or our fleshly desires rather than the Holy Spirit of God. And James is still addressing this idea in the text this morning. How we're to walk with difficult people. Anybody in the room ever walked with difficult people? Anybody in the room maybe is a difficult person? Maybe? I'm just checking. Um, this, is, this is how we're supposed to walk with difficult people and difficult circumstances as Christ followers. And sadly, what happens a lot of times in the church is that we cherry-pick verses. We talked about this in Sunday school this morning. We, sort of we cherry-pick verses in order to fit our own agendas. And, and what happens is when we do that and we cherry-pick verses out of context, we lose the full implication of the text. Um, so it, many of us have heard, these th- heard something like this. We can't judge, or you can't judge me. Why? Why do we say those things? Well, we, we, we think we say them because that's what God's Word says, which it does to some degree. But... When you look at the most of the people that say, hey, you can't judge me. Most of those people, that, what that means when somebody says, hey, you can't judge me. This means I want to be able to sin in peace. Leave me alone. I want to be able to sin in peace and not be challenged on it. I want to be left alone. And that's really never the idea of the text. The idea of the text, when you hear the text, when you, somebody says, judge not lest you be judged. When you read that, that's, that's not meaning... Ignore sin. That was never the idea of the text. So, what I want us to do is I I, I want us, before we just throw out blanket statements like, hey, you can't judge me or don't judge me, I, I want us to read the full verse together and read it in context. 
with the entire chapter, not just the split up verse, but look at the entire chapter in conjunction with what we're going to read. So we're going to start in James chapter 4, and we're going to look at verse 11. So go there to James 4.11. First thing out of the gate we see, he says, James says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if he is a judge, if he's the judge of the law, you're not a doer of the law, but you're a judge. Verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, like I said, I want us to look at the entire context of chapter 4 rather than just pulling this one verse out and saying, okay, this is, we're going we're gonna to pin an entire doctrine on this one or two verses. I want us to look at the entire chapter in context. So the first thing he says here is James. He says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Now, what is James addressing in the chapter as a whole? If you remember the first part of chapter 4, what does he say? He's talking about what causes quarrels, what causes fights, what causes all of these things. He's talking about jealousy, anger, envy, wanting something that doesn't belong to you, wanting something that belongs to somebody else. And when you can't have that one thing, you murdered in order to get it. And this is, this is the entire text of the, of the chapter, is this idea in chapter, or verse 4, loving the world, the overarching theme is loving the world more than you love Jesus. Wanting to exact revenge, wanting to be able to do what you want to do, loving your sinful desires more than you love Jesus. Verse 4 says this, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Question mark. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. First John echoes this. We challenged our students to go through and read First John. And I know that we're moving along quite nicely. I know several folks have been reading that. But First John chapter 2, verse 15 says this. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world is the desire of the flesh and the desire of the eyes and the pride of possessions or the pride of life is not from the Father but from the world. And the world is passing away along with the desires but whosoever does the will of God will abide forever. So when James says to us in the text, do not judge, we have to read it in full context. He's saying not to ignore sin, but rather don't be malicious towards one another. Don't don't have a mean spirit towards fellow believers. Do not have a mean, contemptuous, ill-content towards other people. He's not saying ignore sin. He's, He's not saying sin should be blatantly ignored. He's simply saying don't be mean to one another. Don't be mean to one another. Be loving towards one another. You say, so when people say, oh, you can't judge. Well, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said in, Matthew, or in John chapter 7, he says, look beneath the surface so that you can judge correctly. Right? Look beneath 
the surface so you can judge correctly. Look a little deeper. Do some homework before you just jump in and make a judgment call. Do some homework on somebody. Like I said, he's not telling us to ignore sin in the text, but he's just giving us a path on how to live with other people. Because here's the thing. There is going to be times and places where judgments on circumstances and people are necessary. But in order to do it correctly and do it with love and do it with compassion rather than wanting to exact justice... We're going to have to take time. We're going to have to dig deeper. We're going to have to go underneath the surface rather than just look at somebody and make a blanket statement about who they are. We have to do some homework. And there's going to be moments when sin in the life of a fellow believer, a brother or a sister is going to come up. Like anybody in the room sinned? If you didn't raise your hand, you're a liar. So making sure here. But all of us in the room, we've all sinned. Romans 3.23 says we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And so there's going to be moments where we're going to have to make a judgment. We're going to have to do some work. And the idea of judgment in the text here, where I'm going to show you in Matthew chapter 18, is for reconciliation and never for condemn, to condemn anyone. The desire is redemption, not condemnation. And so I want us to see this in Matthew chapter 18. So go in your Bibles, flip over to Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to look at verses 15 through 20. He says, if a brother sins against you, or a sister, I want to be politically correct here. That's, that's who I am, real politically correct here. If a brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained a brother. Now, This is the prescription from God's word on how to deal with people and make proper judgments. Because there's going to be moments and there's going to be times when men and women sin against one another. And this is what we're called to do as Christians is if someone sins against me, I am to go to them alone and we are to talk this thing out. That's how that's how we start. That's how we start. So if if. Tyler sins against me. Tyler, I'm going to pick on you for a hot minute, so just just deal with that. I'm sorry. If Tyler sins against me, the scripture doesn't say, go to Darren and say, hey, Darren, listen, Tyler is a rat. And you're agreeing. Wow. Um, I just, just, I don't know. But we... I, we're not called to, I'm not called to go to Darren and start talking about Tyler's issue that I, that I have with Tyler. The scripture says, this is what I'm called to do. I'm to go to Tyler. I'm just to walk with him in a desire for reconciliation. I'm to, co- I'm to go to him and tell him the fault that I have, why I'm offended, why I'm hurt. I'm to go to him alone is what the text says. It doesn't say, that's how we start. We go alone. And if he listens... If there's sin in Tyler's life and he listens to me and I try to, my desire is to see him reconciled back to the Lord and back to me, I have gained my brother back. But then we keep going to verse 16. If Tyler won't listen, I'm just picking on you, brother, just sorry. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you so that every charge may be established. Now, I don't take someone that's on Caleb's side. I don't walk in and be like, I've got my wife, I've got my kids, and we're all going to, they're with me. They're on my side. I take a neutral party. The desire is for reconciliation. The desire is to make things right. And so I go back to Tyler with a 
neutral party and we lay out the chart, lay out the faults, lay out the sin, lay out the issues, and we talk these things out as adults, as Christian brothers and sisters. We talk about these things as brothers in Christ. So we take these two witnesses. Now, verse 17 says, if he still refuses, if Tyler's still stubborn and he doesn't listen, then I go tell the church. And I say, listen, I've gone and I've tried to make things right with Tyler, but Tyler is, we need to try to, I want my brother reconciled. And so we tell the church, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, verse 17, then let him be as a Gentile or a tax collector. That means we treat him as a lost person. If he will not forgive and he will not work this out, we treat him as a lost person. Now, how do we treat lost people? Are we mean to them? That's what you can answer. No, we're not to be mean to lost people. Our desire is to love them. We want to see them reconciled. We want to see them redeemed. We want to see them saved. Amen? Like, that's what we want to see. That's what we're called to do. And then verse, 17, or verse 18, Truly I say, whatever you bind on earth, it shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again, I say to you, if two, or you, or two of you agree on earth about anything, and then you ask, it will be done for you by the Father in heaven. Now, remember I talked about cherry picking verses? This is when we cherry pick all the stinking time. And it's just, it's irrita- it just irritates me when I hear people say, Oh, you know, we're two or more gathered. God's there. And we, we're talking about a worship service. Or we're talking about a time of, of prayer. Oh, we got a couple of us together, so the Lord's here. Does that mean if I go in my prayer closet alone, God doesn't show up? I've got to have somebody with me? No, God's there. This, in context, this is about church discipline. So, for where two or more are gathered in my name, there I will be among them. So if we're in the midst of this desiring to find reconciliation between a brother and another brother, God says, I'm going to be in the midst of you while you do church discipline. There is a time and a place for church discipline. But it's not, that, that verse is not, has nothing to do with the idea of worshiping the Lord or coming to a Sunday worship service. God is with you in your car by yourself. God is with you when you're in your prayer closet alone. So the idea is, yes, there may be a time where you're going to have to make a judgment call. You're going to have to have some judgments on a circumstance or a fellow brother or sister, but the desire, overarching desire is not to love the world and want your, your worldly passions shown off, but rather the desire is for you to have reconciliation. You go to your brother first alone, pray with him, talk to him, plead for forgiveness, plead for reconciliation. If he doesn't listen, you take two neutral parties. And then if he still doesn't listen, you take the church. And if she doesn't listen to the church, then you treat him as if a lost person. So you pray for him and ask the Lord to do a work in his heart. And here's the thing. Most of us don't like doing that. That that takes a little bit of time. No, we don't like doing that. Let's be honest. Difficult people are easy to make judgments on. Amen? Amen? My wife's down here. Amen to me secretly. I don't know if that's... Is that... I don't know if that's pointed at me. But it's easy to make judgments on difficult people. If someone's a mess or someone's being annoying or someone's bothering us, we tend to very easily throw blanket judgmental statements at people. Like I said, the goal in all of this, the goal throughout the text is to see men and women reconciled to one another. 
We're called to be reconciled to one another. I'm going to flip over to Matthew chapter 20, or Matthew 5, 23. I want you guys to see this text as well. Matthew 5, verse 23 says this. Because here's what I want us to see. Because if you have a grudge against someone, and you come to church, and you are praying, and you're singing, and you're doing your thing. If you're in this room this morning, and you've got a grudge against somebody, the text tells us very explicitly that you're wasting your time. Verse 23 says, So if you're offering a gift or a sacrifice at the altar, and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar, and go first be reconciled to your brother, and then come back and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser have you thrown over to the judge. And the judge and the guard, and then put you in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid what you owe. Now, what do you owe? We owe each other forgiveness. We owe each other reconciliation. We do not owe one another. Well, you don't know what they said to me, Caleb. They're they're a dirty rascal. They're a dirty rascal, and they're my enemy, and I do not like them. They don't like me, and this is just how it works out. I'm going to tell you, Jesus has told us how to handle folks that are difficult. I didn't say this was easy. Don't don't, Don't pretend like I'm up here saying, hey, this is easy. You should be able to make this happen. It's not. It's difficult, and, and without the Holy Spirit's intervention, it's impossible. But we're going to see how to do it in Matthew chapter 5, because Jesus tells us how to handle folks that are difficult, circumstances that are problematic. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 says this. You have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Verse 44 says, but I say to you, this is Jesus talking, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For it, Now listen, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles, don't even lost people. When you hear the word Gentiles, he's talking about lost people. Don't just, don't the Gentiles do the same thing? You therefore, now listen, this is a tall order. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And you say, Caleb, wait a minute, I, I can't do, I can't be, per- anybody in the room perfect? You say, how do I be perfect, Caleb? How in the world does that happen? Jesus has to be the standing. Jesus has to be the one that makes you perfect. When Christ is in you, you are perfect in the sight of God. When your Christ lives in you, you are perfect in the sight of God. And so when Christ lives in you, to sum all this up, this is what, this is what James is telling us. If you love Christ the way that you should love Christ, our desires towards one another will be to love one another as well. Like that's what we're called to do and to be as followers of Christ. We're called to love one another even when it's difficult. 
Now, I want you to see this. Remember, I told you we're in 1 John for the, with our students. I want you to hear this as I've been reading 1 John. It has been eye-opening to me personally. 1 John chapter 2, verse 7 through 11. I, I'm using the, the New Living Translation. Sam, thank you for putting that in my viewpoint, in my, in my peripheral, just my vision. Because I love it now. Like, I love it in my study, and my prep. I love it. I want you to hear this because... This NLT really breaks this down. It says, Dear friends, I am not writing a new command. So John's telling us in 1 John, hey, listen, this isn't new. It might feel and sound new, but it's not new. It's not a new command. Rather, it's an old one that you have heard from the very beginning. Like some of you have been in church for decades and you've heard this and it's become, you've become, as Hebrews chapter 5 says, dull of hearing because you've been so just immersed in this idea that you forget about this. This is not a new command. It's an old command. To love one another in the same message you heard before. Verse 8 says, Yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of the commandment, and you also are living it. For the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is already shining. So he's saying, Jesus has come, Jesus has made things right, and now the darkness is being scattered by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what he's saying. And then he moves into verse 9 and really gets into the crux of the matter. If anyone claims that they live in the light, but they hate their fellow believers. That, now listen, I need you guys, I pay, I I hate trying to sound like I'm talking to, like I need you all to pay attention to this because I think it's so vital that we're just like, don't get distracted, see this. If anyone claims that they are living in the light, but hates his fellow believer, that person is still in darkness. Anyone who loves his fellow believer is living in the light. And does not cause others to stumble. Now, many of us who are walking, say we're walking in the light, hate our fellow believers, or hold grudges like it's our favorite candy bar, and it causes many others to stumble. Verse 11. Now, this is the crux of this. If anyone who hates his fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness, such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. So you could stand in a church room and you could say, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. And we can raise our hands and we can do all these things. But if you walk, say you walk in the light, but you hate your fellow believers, you are fooling yourself that you're a believer. I didn't say that. This is the text. Read it in, in full context. If you say you love some, if you say you love Jesus, but you hate your fellow believers, you are self-deceived and you're fooling yourself. If you claim to know Christ, but yet you hate other people. I didn't say that. Jesus did. And this is the, the whole idea. The key to this is, is when, when the Holy Spirit presses in on our lives... Instead of bristling to it and saying, bless God, I'm not going to forgive them because, oh, I don't have to forgive them because you don't know what they did to me. I'm going to be lovingly honest here. I don't care what they did to you. I don't care. What you did to Jesus was far, 
far worse. And he did not, as he hung on the cross, get, man, I hate those people. Man, I hate them. Kill them all. Did he? No, as he hung on the cross, he said, Father, the men and women that were killing, that were involved in killing him, the one time that would have been okay would have been for Jesus to be like, you know what? I don't like any of this. I'm killing everyone. But he didn't. As he hung on the cross, he set aside what he wanted. What did Jesus say? Father, not my will, but yours be done. So God's will is to forgive and to reconcile and to see mankind made right. So he hung on the cross. And as he hung on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. But yet you're going to hold a grudge because somebody said something stupid 20 years ago. This is where repentance is the key. Repentance is the key. This is where we say, I was wrong. I was wrong and I need to be made right. And this is what I've, I've taught my kids. When they wrong each other or they wrong someone else, we first go to the person that they wronged. And we go to that person, if it's a brother or sister, or if they go, if they offend. Like we had, a, we had happened with a, one of Gabe's friends one time. They went, we went to their house, knocked on the door, and worked it out in person. And guess what? There was reconciliation. That friend forgave him, and he forgave that friend, and they're still friends to this day. But there was a season where they were mad at one another. And Jesus says, that you're, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your time in church. If, you're, if you've laid your gift out, First John says, if you laid your gift out in worship and you remember that you have something against your brother or your sister, you are called to go make it right. You say, what if they don't forgive me, Caleb? You're free and clear. You make the attempt to make it right. You do what's necessary. You make the first walk. You step in and say, I'm sorry. This is what I'm sorry for. Will you please forgive me? And if that person says, I don't forgive you, you're free and clear. They're responsible now. But if you go and you make it, attempt to make it right, you're in, the, you're in the clear. So you first get right with man, woman. You go find, seek forgiveness, and then you come to the Lord and say, Father, I am sorry that I've held on to this grudge. I've held on to this anger. I've held on to this resentment for years, God. And I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And guess what? He frees you. And I've talked to dozens of men and women who have laid their burdens at the cross. They've, they've found forgiveness with, with family members, with friends, with enemies. And they've made things right. And guess what? They're free. Like they're, they're no longer shackled up. The scripture told us in Matthew chapter 5 that you're going to be put in prison until you pay what's owed. And what's owed? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. And when the gospel invades the dark spaces of your heart and pushes the darkness out, it will not only shine a light on what needs to be transformed, the Holy Spirit will actually make the transformation in your life. You say, Caleb, I don't know if I can do this. You're probably right. You can't. But God can in you. Amen? 
God can in you. This is where you have to say, God, I'm not willing, but I pray, God, that you'd, be, that you'd make me willing. And that you would, I can't forgive them, but God, you can forgive them through me. And so James tells us, he tells us in the text, this is what we're called to do. We're called, don't speak evil against one another. Don't speak. And here's the thing. There's a time and a place to make a judgment. But here's what you and I will never be able to do. I can't look at anybody in the room and say, you know what? You're going to hell. I don't get to make that judgment. And I also can't say, you're going to heaven. I don't get to make those judgment calls. What I can do is I can, ju- I can see the fruit. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 talks about this. Talks about the fruit. A good tree has what? Good fruit. A bad tree has what? Bad fruit. And so we see the fruit. I could make it, man, I got some, that's some crazy fruit. But I don't, get to, I don't get to judge the eternity of anyone in the room. And vice versa, you don't get to do that for anybody in the room. But what you can do is you can say, God, I don't want to be malicious. I don't want to be angry. I do not want to be, I don't want to speak evil against my brothers. But God, I, I want to. I want to be the kind of man, I want to be the kind of woman who lives like you actually live in my heart. So if Christ lives in you, what should radiate out of you is love for your fellow fellow man. You should love your brothers. You should love your sisters. You should love the people that are difficult. Because God loves you and you're difficult often. Amen? God loved you when you were difficult. He saw you. What what does the Bible say? The Bible tells us that while we were yet sinners, when we were still messed up, what? Christ, Matthew chapter, or Romans chapter 5, Christ died for the ungodly. How amazing. That's the, the glory of the gospel. The glory of the gospel is that we've been transformed from the inside out. And as a result of being transformed by the power of the gospel, I now have the power to go to my fellow human beings and extend grace and give grace out like it's water. How amazing. And when we live in this kind of transformation, we will live in the light that God has called us to walk in. In. How amazing is that? So what, what I want us to do this morning, though, I, I, if you're here this morning and you claim that you walk in the light, and you claim you know Christ, but yet you still harbor anger and bitterness towards anyone in the, anyone in the room, anyone in the town, anyone in the state, I would pray and I would, I would plead with you that the Holy Spirit would do a work in you and that you would repent and you would ask God to forgive you and then you'd get right with that person. And if that person doesn't forgive you, you've made the effort. I want to challenge us to live like we actually believe the message of the gospel. Because if we believe the message of the gospel, then our lives will look different. We're called to love one another. Amen? We're called to love one another like Christ loved us. Christ loved us. You guys stand with me. Father, we thank you.
thank you for the power of your word, Father. And God, I pray in the name of Jesus, there's someone in this room today that does not know who you are, that they would come in repentance to you, Father. If there's someone in the room that's been holding on onto a grudge, holding on to something, Father, I pray that they would let that go rather than, than try to make some blanket judgment or whatever, and they would no longer speak evil against their fellow brothers, but they would come into a desire to see themselves reconciled not only to their fellow human beings, but they would desire to see themselves reconciled to you. God, help us. Help us not to be stubborn. Help us not to be prideful. Help us just to be willing to drop that down. Help us, God. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen.